cougars. The Nashville Zoo housed two animals with an identity crisis. One day, I'd show up and there'd be mountain lions, a male, Samson, and a female, Chelsea. I would make sure the exhibit was safe, secure, and clear of poo. They would go about their day as normal. Chelsea glowed as an absolute sweetheart whose demeanor might lure a lesser man in to become dinner. Samson, however, was much larger and rather bitter. Each step of his would bring about a snickering growl. Though grumpy, he presented an acute soft spot. A quick scrape along the fence line welcomed a cheek scratch through the chain link. Both were rescued from extensive injuries suffered in the wild. The next day, nevertheless, would divulge an alarming discovery. The mountain lions were gone. No, they had not escaped. Chelsea and Samson remained, but now as cougars. After several subsequent days of repetitive transformation, I lost track of what to refer to them as. Puma, catamount, panther, mountain screamer, deer cat, red tiger, sneak cat, here kitty kitty, and brad killer. A new day, a whole new identity. Yes, this taxonomic phenomenon has been playfully abused by many, but every abused pun deserves that final nail in the coffin to distress the soft-hearted unnecessarily. Part of the job requirement as a keeper was giving educational talks about the animals we cared for. I checked out some books from the Nashville Library to smarten up on the subject. One such book featured survival stories in the wild and what to do in the event of an encounter. Such instructions as, never run away, make yourself appear larger, shout, and scream. In India, where tigers rule supreme, the locals even have a mask with a face that goes on the back of their heads for thwarting attacks meant for unsuspecting prey. One other disturbing fact remained after arriving in Montana. I had overlooked returning those books to the library. Surely accruing massive fines totaling into the hundreds, perhaps thousands of dollars. No head librarian would ever let such merchandise slip through the cracks without consequence. It was not even too far-fetched to anticipate contact from the library to recapture those items. Such details would need to be addressed at some point, but more meaningful matters demanded immediate attendance once Montana became home. No matter what unscientific name had been conjured up depending on region or IQ, there would be no arguments on one singular truth. Those Montana woods possessed a finely tuned ambush predator whose detail I never lost sight of while in such proximity. While off heading over to Saltamantes Field in mid-fall, a slight shuffle emerged off the side of the trail beyond the heavy underbrush masking the tree line. Strolls were commonly accompanied by the territory-disputing squirrel or chipmunks hustling about in search of a pre-hibernation meal, but never had faint shuffles impressed upon me such calculation. The air became thicker, and that primal sense of smell seemed to benefit from the raised hairs on my skin like antenna. No amount of time in the woods before would portend oxygen being siphoned away. All senses reinforced, far beyond my only hunting experience. Within that tree line, there fostered no doubt of something watching with motionless concentration. 
Razoon's steps down the northbound trail brought more quiet, self-masked shuffling alongside. My deliberate pauses were greeted each time with matching gaps of unnerving stillness. This countermaneuvering went on for three or four more series over several endless minutes. My buckknife slowly became unsheathed, shifting the direction of the point towards the sound. The back of my eyes trying to visualize what might lunge out and what I could do to stay fully defensive. I smoothly sidestepped further while purposefully remaining faded to the brush, trying to detect movement with a slow pan left to right at surveillance pace. I hugged the opposite edge of the trail with, giving as much space for reaction time as possible. I made sure I had the knife point ready to strike and gave several shouts with as much deep bass as viable. I raised my arms to expand my threat profile. Silence. I ascended slowly back to the cabin, only about a five-minute walk away, never peeling my eyes from that foreboding tree line. The sound would not follow. The feeling dissolved. I sat on the porch wondering what had happened. How could a head librarian have found me on the other side of the country? I concluded beyond a reasonable doubt the city of Nashville had come to collect those books by any means necessary. The next day, we received a knock on the cabin door. A pair of bushy fellows in their late twenties stood boldly on the porch. Their pickup truck revealed a squad of fidgety, malnourished beagles in the bed. They would not identify themselves as officials from the library department as required by law to do. Instead, the heavyset man by the name of Wyatt, who confidently owned both a ponytail and unmanaged beard, asked for permission to hunt on the property. The ponytail was incredibly misleading. A male librarian is required by international standards to have a part in their hair starting from one side, typically the left side, that carefully combs over and across the top of the head to a neat and pleasing fade on the other side. The hair length must not exceed six centimeters. This hair formation critically aided the identification of an authentic male librarian. A ponytail, however, discouraged all but a symmetrical divide down the middle, beginning from the midsection of the frontal bone to halfway down the parietal bone. Something just did not add up properly with these men that stood before me. They did not drive the vehicle of librarians. Their partially camouflaged outerwear composed not of the dress of librarians. Their facial features were even unworthy of part-time work in the more progressive audio-visual section of a typical library. Such an unstructured look countered the Dewey Decimal System with unapologetic defiance. Not even a volunteer position at a small-town library fit the profile. In concealing their intent, these guys were professionals, and I knew exactly how to compose myself with diligent use of counter-librarianism. He disclosed that their beagles were on the scent of a mountain lion and had become stonewalled by the private property line. Code words such as mountain lion were easy to pick up on, for mountain lion meant non-compliant cardholders. I challenged them of their intentions and how they would hunt, hoping to expose their true purpose, to surface an inconsistency. They vowed to have the beagles tree the cougar and then shoot it. The reason for shooting it? Because it was a cougar. 
I had difficulties processing all the code words. I surveyed him up and down from head to toe. He had dried mud plastered to the base of his soles, whose consistency matched the trail I stomped on the day before. I was eager to ask him if he enjoyed watching me in the woods, but did not wish to tip my hand too early. As the conversation grew elderly, they revealed no justification for hunting mountain lion, such as an attack on a human or livestock, nor was it a desired food source. I protested their cover story, and given the fact that we stewarded the property, I had an easy excuse to decline. The doorway met some momentary tension, as this response clearly deviated away from the answer they coveted, but I did not care. Killing for pleasure alone seemed excessive and not a role play that I wanted to be part of. Perhaps if I had livestock or small children at that moment, I might have countered with a different answer. I needed to show them some books I had failed to return, covering many of the conservation efforts involving cougars, but suppressed the urge for fear they may still be undercover librarians from Tennessee, scruffy and possibly unread librarians wearing wigs or book bounty hunters. Perhaps the tension lasted as long as it did because I no longer acknowledged their presence. Their story held up as firm as their displeased expressions. I slipped too deep into the realization that the encounter the day before was not of these men or any other library authorities after all. I expelled such a deep sense of relief. Perhaps these gentlemen were actually hunters in hot pursuit of a cougar. After they left, I snatched the shotgun, returned to where the standoff occurred, and found faint depressions that cautiously passed for tracks of a canine or a large cat. Was I a target, a curiosity, or even a perceived threat by a mountain lion? When a wild encounter of that magnitude occurs, succeeding days in the woods become spiced up drastically. Nashville Library Sleeper Cells were utilizing dangerous wildlife as a form of mob-like intimidation.